Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about God and work. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Man, glad to be back. Yeah. Dave, Merry Christmas. Almost. Well. By the time this airs, it will be Most people watching this will watch it probably Christmas morning would be my guess. I would think so. Christmas, new Christmas morning tradition. <laughs> Best way to start your Christmas morning. Gather the kids. Yep. Put Children. Put in front of the TV. Mm. Yeah. And watch the Multiply podcast. Children love the Multiply podcast. They do. They do. We're not sure why, but... Um, My kids love listening to us, actually, as long as we're sped up, like, two times, because then they just <laughs> laugh. Actually, what's funnier to them is when you slow us down to half speed, and yeah. we sound like we're either intoxicated or having some sort of a medical emergency. <laughs> Yeah, which one of those is possible, not the other. Right. But, yes, that's a good point. But yeah, it's good to be back recording. We're uh, we're excited. If you're joining us on uh, on audio, feel free if you want to see how nice we look today in our festive. Well, you're, actually, you're very festive. Actually, look only one of us is wearing a festive Christmas outfit. Yeah. You know, you got the spirit. Yeah. Well, I try. I try. But uh, head over to YouTube. You can find us multiply podcast there or on iTunes or SoundCloud. We're glad you guys are with us, mm-hmm. and we're excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today. So yeah, give us a little intro. What are we hitting? So I think we're going to do a two parter, and uh, we're going to spend a couple episodes talking about the topic of work. And you know, obviously, when we talk about leadership and discipleship, which are the two main uh, topics we try to address on the multiply podcast, work really fits under both because at work there's opportunities for leadership. You're under leadership. Um, and then in discipleship, there's a lot of leadership components that kind of connect with influence and sharing your life with other people. Um, and so uh, work is a broad topic, and we're going to try to drill in on it for the next two episodes and just really say, ask the question, what does the Bible actually say about work? Does the Bible have anything to say about our work or only certain types of work? So let's, let's start this way. Um, you and I currently work um, in... Uh, I work in a local church, you work for a network of churches, but we've both worked many jobs to get to this point, climb the proverbial yeah. ladder. Oh, we have, yeah. What is the worst job you've ever had? Well, and what made it the worst okay. job? And don't say this current job, because <laughs> some of your bosses might be watching. Um, so I've got, I'm going to say two. All right, okay. but I asked for one. So well, just, I, I'm not a, yeah. But you're not uh, that interesting, so just pick one. No, let me, let me go with two, Okay. <laughs> The first one that I think if I had to choose one, this would be my worst job. In college, I sold timeshares. What? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. To and where? I, to I, everywhere? Anywhere? I, they were like these little vacation getaways. No, that I you know would, what a timeshare is, but what part of the... Well, what I sold was the little vac- weekend getaways where they would try to tell sell you the timeshare. Oh, you were just trying to get them there. Exactly. Then. So they didn't even trust you to sell anything. You were just getting them in position <laughs> I was to getting sell. them there. You're the middleman. Right. I was the middleman. Yeah. And so we... So it... Were you good at it? I made decent money, but what I came to realize in that job, and um, maybe this isn't true, like if there's anyone out there that does this for a living, um, but this was my experience... The people who are good at it basically had to lie. And so for me, it got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to lie to these people. Mm. And so, and it, I just hated it. The idea of, I mean, that's like my worst nightmare, cold calling people and being like, hey, I've got a deal for you, you know? But um, So you're so, better than everyone else who does that job? <laughs> Is that what I hear? Are you reading between the lines? <laughs> no, that was one of my worst jobs. Uh, but How old were you? In college, you said? Yeah, I was in college. My other, my other worst job was when I was saving up to 
This is also in college during the summers. I was saving up to buy a wedding ring, engagement ring, and I worked in a water bottling factory. Oof. Ten hour days, five days a week. Yeah. And it was just monotonous. One of the jobs was quality control. You just watch bottles go by and try to pick out the bad ones. And I was terrible at it because my mind would wander. I'd be like, 20 minutes ago by, I've not pulled one bottle off. I'm like, oh, there's got to be some bad ones in there. But it was terrible. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm probably 50% more interesting than you. So I'm going to say three jobs real quick. You were Santa Claus in a mall. Yes. <laughs> Number one, when I was in college, I worked at a full-service gas station all by myself that did not have a cash register. So we had a drop box. We had a drop cash. And you had to check off items How'd as you, you give sold change it. To people? And at the end of the day, how did I give change to people? That's no, a great question. It doesn't matter. But I, don't rem- I don't remember. It was a terrible job. And uh, we'd be out there in the middle of winter pumping gas. Um, and then another job I had that was terrible was one summer I, I worked in an um, auto part warehouse in Syracuse. And there was no air conditioning there. And all your, summer, worst yeah, that enough First was of all, like, who's allowing job? you near auto parts? <laughs> That's a great question. But I, I don't know anything about cars, but every part has a number on it. And I know a lot about numbers being, you know, <laughs> half Korean and all. So I would just find the th- and I would just stock and, and but it could be stocking like the tiniest little car parts. I think they're called thingamabobs to like literally moving <laughs> yeah. like huge, like undercarriage thingies right. where like you're lifting these huge muffler pipes and stuff. Yeah. And it was dirty and it was hot and I hated it. But then my worst job probably was I worked at this sim- sounds similar to your job at the water bottle factory. It was a medical needle factory. I got oh this job through gosh. a temp agency one summer when I was in college. And literally all you did, now they weren't sharp needles. They, they, they were, they, they were needles, but they couldn't really poke you. So I don't know what they're used for, but <laughs> these little medical needles about this big. Um, if you're not, if you're not watching about an inch or two big and, and you had to make them point in the same direction. And the subtleties between the pointy end and the not pointy end were were significant. It wasn't obvious. So you literally had to like, so I spent my whole summer hunched over just like turning these little needles like so they're little... all facing the same direction and putting them in the box. And at my table are all these Eastern European Russian women who I think have done that their entire lives because they didn't even look. They're just going... They're just like, they're looking straight ahead and just like moving everything. They crushed you. They're doing like 20 boxes and I'm on my first box. <laughs> so it was a terrible job and it was hum- humiliating. I just, I felt like a wimp. So, so work can be hard. And I yeah. think there's movies out there about how hard work is. Office Space is kind of like the iconic film about having a terrible job. And then there's these new movies out about having terrible bosses. And I think uh, sometimes it, we can begin to believe that work is a curse. And actually, there's some people who might theologically believe that work is part of the curse. Because sin entered the world, uh, we now have to do work. And so we have these terrible jobs, and it's a miserable thing, but we have to do it. It's sort of part of the whole deal now. And the Bible actually teaches us something very different. The Bible has a very high view of work, and it starts all the way back at the beginning. So in Genesis 1, of course, we have this creation poem, this account of God bringing the world into existence. And God reveals himself at the beginning of scriptures as a God who's creative and a God who is working. And he's working in lots of different ways. He's, he's doing work that is both practical and uh, aesthetic. So things that functionally work in creation, systems and, and ecosystems, but also things that are beautiful, things that still to this day take our breath away, right? Like sunrise and, and different things, mountains and stuff like that. So it's practical and aesthetic work. He's also doing work that is organizational, administrative. Um, he's putting things in the right place. 
He's doing thoughtful work. He's doing verbal work. He's speaking things. He's doing manual work. He forms man out of, out of dust, out of dirt. And so we have all these different uh, expressions of God's work that's revealed to us. So one of the things we learn right away is God is a working God. But then the end of Genesis 1, God says, let us make human in our image, speaking of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we learn right there that we've been created in the image of a creative working God. So what are the implications of that when you think about uh, that we've been created in the image of a God who works? Well, certainly it speaks in favor of your point, which is work is not a curse, right? So if, a, if it's a very much the nature of a perfect God, and then he's now created us with his nature, um, and our creation is an act of work, he's making us, then I think logically follows that work is, is not a curse at all. In fact, it's a part of who we are made to be. There's something about us where when we work in such a way that honors God, it's, it's going to be a blessing to us. It's going to help us function in the way that we were intended to function. Yeah, a blessing to us and a, and a blessing hopefully to others yeah. as well. And so here we are, God's creating, he's working, he creates us in his image. And then in Genesis chapter 2, I want to read these verses, um, verses 5 through 7, and then down to verse 15. It says, uh, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. In Genesis 2, we have this sort of second creation account, which drills in a little more specific and maybe a little more literally. Um, It says, the Lord God has not caused it to, had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So this is problematic. God's created this beautiful universe. Um, there is the potential for uh, the bush of the field and the plant of the field. The, 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 yeah, the bush of the field and the plant of the field, but they haven't sprung up yet. And the reason why is two things. God hasn't caused it to rain on the land, but also there's no one to work the ground. Mm-hmm. So uh, then, you, then you, say, you go to verse 7, it says, Then... The Lord God formed the man or the human of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So what it seems to indicate here is that the creation of humankind is not just this, but it's partly this, a solution to the problem of who's going to work, steward uh, the creation that God has here. And so then you skip down to verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And this is all before Genesis 3, of course. In Genesis 3, we see the fall. Um, Adam and Eve rebel. Sin enters the earth. We're cursed. And our work is cursed. But work doesn't originate after the fall, does it? No, no. I, I mean, clearly, like you just pointed out. I think there's a one of my, um, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars. His name is John Walton. And he's, uh, he, he's a professor at Wheaton College. And he basically talks about how the creation account in Genesis 1-2 is this picture of, um, of the temple. Hmm. And that God is God is present within the temple, his presence, his creation. And we've been called to be priests, to be stewards of of the temple. And of course, you see that picture actually later on um, played out with Israel and an actual tabernacle. And and um, and of course, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And um, but that that picture that we've been called to be stewards and um, called to tend and care for his creation, I think, is evident way before sin ever entered the world sin affects it as it does everything right but it it certainly does not um change the essence of work being a positive blessing in our lives yeah so work and doing work actually is a mandate by god to adam and eve in a perfect world 
before before the fall, before the curse, before sin, um, which actually seems to indicate that if work existed before sin, that and I, I love this teaching and it's something I didn't know for much of my life, but as I began to read other people teach on heaven, the idea that like I, m- I remember when I was young thinking about heaven, I was like, well, you know, people would say you're going to spend the first thousand years singing worship songs. I was like, oh, I can't spend 20 <laughs> minutes singing worship songs without wondering what's next, you know, <laughs> that sounds or, terrible. or you're going to be, you know, the, the sort of the goofy picture of a fat little angel in a diaper sitting there playing a harp, which doesn't sound totally terrible, but yeah, you it's think awesome for a couple hours. Yeah. You think that would get more, but then I began to realize like, if work existed in paradise, work will exist in the new heavens and the earth. And so we're going to continue to do meaningful work because work is not a curse. It's part of bearing God's image. And any time anytime that we bear God's image well, it's actually worship. So what that means is that work, doing good work, is actually a form uh, of worship. Yeah. So I'm interested in, in hearing from you because, you know, we talk a lot about leadership and discipleship. And part of this conversation, I think, is centered around how do we teach other people about this like yeah. how, if I'm discipling someone how do I help them understand and learn why this matters so why I, I know you're really passionate about this why do you feel like this is such an important conversation to have yeah when discipling people well because so much of their life is work I mean when we talk about discipleship our definition at the church I serve at is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives changing uh, what we love and how we live. Um, And I think there's a dichotomy sometimes in the Christian world between um, what is sacred and what is secular, right? And one of the implications of all of what we're talking about so far is that if work has been given to us by God to do, to steward creation, to extend his reign and rule over creation, to essentially take the raw materials of creation and develop them, discover things about them, invent things, improve them. I mean, that's what chefs do, right? They take the raw ingredients of flour, salt, and water, and they make pasta. Authors take the raw ingredients of words and ideas and imagination, and they write books. And, And so woodworkers do that, you know, metal workers, teachers take all these things and they take things and they improve them so that for the good of creation, for the good of others. And so if all of that actually is part of our original creation mandate, uh, sometimes my concern is that in the Christian world today, especially the evangelical Christian world, our, our, our understanding of God's plan for our life kind of starts in Genesis three. It starts with sin, but Jesus is coming to save us. And if we forget that before sin, there was a reason we were here, and God never said that reason is, oh, forget that reason, right? right? So I think when it comes to discipling and leading people in our churches or even empowering people that we work with, uh, wherever we may work, hospitals, schools, uh, factories, helping them realize all of life can be sacred when it's understood as part of the mission that God has given you. Our mission is to bear his image well, to extend his reign and rule, to make disciples, things like that. And so if that's part of our mission, then essentially ministry is just the way we fulfill our mission. Right. And and But in your experience, how do people talk about ministry? When, you, when they say the word ministry, if you ask the average person in church, what's your ministry? What do you, what do you hear? Yeah. I mean, most people would, would classify ministry as what we do in the walls of the building. Exactly. But not to their own fault. I think that's mostly been pushed by pastors and by the church. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been our scope. And it's not incorrect. It's just right. incomplete, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that play a lot of times that plays into the perception of um, work being a curse because people 
operate in the church building using their gifts and talents. They're right. getting um, encouragement, approval. They feel like what they're doing is useful and meaningful in the kingdom. And so that feels great. And all the time that they have to go to their job feels mm-hmm. like time that they could be yeah. doing other things. And you and you've probably heard people say comments like, oh, I just wish I didn't have to work so I could be devoting more time to, to God and more time to, to this. Or people that kind of um, look at full-time pastors and think, man, I, I wish I could do that because yeah. then I could devote all of my time. And that's real ministry. ministry. That's full. You ever heard the phrase, that's full-time ministry. Right. And one of the things I try to say now when I talk about what I do is I try to say I do full-time ministry within the context of the local church. Yeah. Because I believe everybody is called to some sort of full-time ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, of course, but also the ministry of bearing God's image and doing good work. And, uh, you know, sometimes people wrestle with this. Is my work good? Does my work matter? And uh, there's a pastor author named Scott Sauls. He's in Nashville, Nashville now. He actually pastored with Keller for a while at Redeemer. And... He said um, that any kind of work that leaves people, places, or things better than you found them is work that can be celebrated as good. And he went on to say something like, any kind of work that makes the city of man more like the city of God, where things like truth and beauty and justice uh, and excellence reign, that's good work. And so that's, I think that's a good filter for people to, you know, if you're listening right now and you're thinking about like, what about my work? Do I leave people, places, and things better than I found them? And I think most jobs, you have that opportunity to do so, whether you're providing a service that people need, even in sales, like you were talking about, like there's a way you can do sales that is good work, but then you can do sales without integrity and you're actually making people buy something that you know they don't need versus sales are saying, actually, what do you need? Oh, I can help you. And leave you better than I found you, so to speak. So even in something like that, um, of course, there's more obvious, maybe easy, lower hanging fruit ones like like being in the medical field or being a counselor or being a teacher, being a stay at home mom. Um, But even people who are janitors and, 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 and take our trash away, you know, I mean, they're leaving things better than they found it right They're working for the good of our community. And so I heard Keller one time talk about the uh, the woman who cleans the hotel room, you know, and how she could feel like. Um, my job has no meaning and value to the kingdom. And I think he just told this kind of story about, you know, imagine a couple who's traveling to go adopt a child and the night before they've got to stay at a stay at a hotel room or someone who's staying at that room and the next day they've got to do some massive important thing and them having a clean room, getting a good night's sleep is so vitally important. Mm. And if no one cleans that room, then people aren't able to stay there, which means they're not able to function and do all the things that like we don't realize how all the little things actually enable and equip people who are doing all kinds of other stuff. Like yeah. every little bit of work, like you said, um, can matter and does matter mm-hmm. as long as it's as long as it's um, making this world seem more like the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in, I think, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one that whatever we do, whether we eat, whatever we drink, now in this context, he's not specifically talking about work, but I think it's applicable. Whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to do, um, do it to the glory of God. So whether you're pushing a mop, whether you're pushing papers, um, whether you're preaching a sermon, like it can be done to the glory of God. I think our next episode, we'll talk about the other side of this. So what does it look like when we do work for our glory and not for the glory of God? But um, I want to mention something else that Scott Saul said, because I I think this will maybe make this clearer for those who are listening. He he goes on to say, I forget if this is one of his books or or a blog that I read, but he talks about that when our work leaves people, places, and things better than we found them, we image God. And in imaging God well, we worship God. And so this is actually a form of worship. He gives some really cool examples. He, he, He says, mothers image the nurture of God. 
artists and entrepreneurs the creativity of God, government leaders and business executives the rule of God, healthcare professionals and counselors the healing hand of God, educators the wisdom and knowledge of God, nonprofit workers the mercy of God, fashion inventors and stylists the beauty of God, marketers and advertisers the evangelistic energy of God, and authors and storytellers and filmmakers the drama of God. Podcasters, the Podca- humor. Multiply podcasters, the handsomeness. The, yeah. And and the overall just spirit of God. Beauty. Be- <laughs> I think I think Scott made his point very yeah, clear. Well, I think he set us up nicely to say what we need to say. Um, the whole point being that we can worship God through all kinds of work. And so if you're listening, uh, I don't know what you do for work. Um, maybe your work feels mundane. Maybe it feels meaningless. Um, maybe you feel like work is just something to endure or to be avoided, um, to be escaped, to be hated. But I actually think the Bible has a very high view of work. And the challenge is, how do we view work as actually a beautiful way to obey God's mandate on our lives? Uh, how do we view work as an opportunity to bear his image? How do we do good work for others, right? I think it was Martin Luther who said, um, the Christian shoemaker doesn't do his Christian duty by putting crosses on shoes, but by making good shoes, right? Yeah. And God doesn't need good shoes, but your neighbor needs good shoes. And so uh, how do we do work that is of excellence? So I, my thought is, as Christians wrap, to back to the question you asked a while ago, how does this help us with teaching other people and discipling other people? I think as Christians wrap their hearts around this idea that work is not something to be endured, but it's something to use as a tool of worshiping to God, it actually gives us joy and strength in our difficult work days and our mundane tasks and Helps them not to feel so meaningless. And also the excellence with which we work provides um, witness to the glory of God. And you think of Old Testament characters like Daniel and Joseph, who so excelled in a, um, for lack of a better term, I don't like this, but a secular work environment. But they didn't see it that way. They saw it as a worship to God, sacred worship to God. They so excelled that it gave them a platform that yeah. gave them opportunities to not just do good work, but in a sense to do God's work. You know? Actually, one of the things that's interesting to make that point, I recently heard this story from one of our Kyle missionaries in Queens. And when they first moved to Queens, they were looking for an apartment, which is can be challenging to find a good place for a good price. And right. so they found a place, but the, the people were very particular about who they were going to rent to because it was a good a good price. And so the realtor's talking to to the renters and uh, she says, you know, these guys are are born again Christians and which could go either way. Right. <laughs> that could like really backfire <laughs> on you. But what's interesting is the the people who own the home and were renting the apartment, they said, Oh, we own an auto body shop and we have a mechanic that's a born again Christian Hmm. and he is the best employee that we have. So if these guys are like him, we're going to rent to him. That's amazing. And they end up getting the apartment. And I thought to myself, like, here's a guy who doesn't know them, but because of his good work, they are now in Queens being able to do the ministry that God's called them to do. Yeah. And what would that look like if all Christians across the world looked at work that Hmm. way and operate in that way? Yeah. I mean, imagine if that was the reputation of Christians. Right. They're the best workers. They work hard. They work with integrity. They don't complain. They don't create drama. Yeah. Um, they honor their co- their co-host. Just imagine. 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 By the way, where was that story when I needed it when I preached this message recently? I forgot that was, to tell that's you. That's a great story. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. Well, you know, you'll have more opportunities. So to summarize uh, really what we're saying here is that I think for the Christian, work is um, a vital part of carrying out the mission of God. It's not peripheral. It's not secondary. It's not... Um, something that is just a necessary evil. 
And when we do good work, we are honoring God, bearing his image and carrying out his mission. So yeah. work is not your curse. Now, next episode, we're going to kind of swing to the other side of the spectrum and say, yes, work is not your curse, but also work is not your worth. Mm. And so we'll, we'll drill in on that. This is something you really need to hear. So I'm excited to dive in with it. I'm excited to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, before we close the most important part of the podcast, we're going to do a little portion we like to call David's Eats. Mm. We don't want to just make you better leaders, but also better eaters. So, David, I already know because I was a part of this, but what's the best thing you've Man. eaten recently? Well, we need a whole episode for this because you and I just spent a couple of days in New York City. Oh. And we probably ate at 12 to 15 different places. I lost count. Which would make you think we spent a whole week there. But nope. we did not. <laughs> nope. Barely 48 hours. Uh, I think we got I think we have to give a shout out to the pizza place because, yeah. you know, pizza in New York, like, first off, um, you know, we couldn't. We had a recommendation from our friend Michael Scott, but we couldn't find a Sabaros. We couldn't. We <laughs> looked. We looked and looked. Couldn't find an authentic um, New York slice. But with the exception of Sabaros, if you're New York, if you're a pizza place in New York and you're surviving, you probably make pretty good pizza, right? Yeah. Or you're the dollar slice places. There you go. So, I mean, for the most part, it's hard to find terrible pizza in New York. Um, but we found what we both think is the best. And we've tried a lot of pizza in New York. And we kind of stumbled upon it. It was a, It's a newer place on the on 9th Ave, about five blocks north of Penn Station. And uh, it's called Vito's Slices and Ices. They make pizza and they make Italian ice, I guess. I, I actually didn't see that. or We didn't order no. it. Um, and it, it had f- all five-star reviews on Yelp, but it had less than 40 reviews, which is not a lot for a place in Manhattan. So I wasn't sure, but it was on our way. So we're like, well, let's just stop. There's only like three bucks a slice, which might not sound cheap depending on where you listen from. But, the, but other places in New York are like six or seven bucks a slice. And so we just got a slice of cheese, and it was perfect. It was perfect. It looks so simple. It looks like how great could it possibly be? Cheese, sauce, the crust, the ratio, the yeah. flavor. It's the best slice of pizza perfect I've had. combination in so, every way. So shout out to Vito's. Um, if you live in the city or next time you're in the city, go grab a slice. You got to just try their cheese. They also have some other good stuff, too. We had like a grandma's pie style thickness with like uh, sausage and yeah. something else. But just on go it. with the plain cheese to yeah. start. It's yeah. the best. So that's the best thing I ate. And, and that's saying something because we ate some really good food. Yes, we did. Maybe you'll hear more about it on the next podcast. Who knows? Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.